0: John Barnett here, and welcome to Week 50. Can you believe it? Uh, Look there. It says Week 50, Revelation 1. I can't believe it's been almost a year that you've been our small group uh, going with us all over the world. And uh, as you can see, we're on the road. I'm wearing my uh, not wrinkle very much travel shirt, living out of suitcases, and uh, actually uh, this setup, I'm on this little plastic table that that's going to tip over at any minute. So I hope the Lord can help everything hold together so we can get this to you. But uh, we're going through Revelation, which, as you know, the, the Bible is my favorite book in the whole world. And within it are 66 smaller books. And so any book I'm in in the Bible is my favorite because it's part of the Bible, but especially Revelation is my favorite. And I want to show you my journal right here. Uh, remember, uh, if you look down in the, the description of this YouTube video, you can see the links to all these materials. Some of you are just joining us. I know that. I, I get a notice when when you subscribe. But uh, uh, I have taped in the whole schedule and the how to do the 52-chapter study. And then I've made pages for, for every week, just like you. But let me get to where we are now. Um, 50, 50. Here we go. This is where I started this week. I wrote this. And then I wrote two more pages. Took notes. Then I wrote two more pages. Then I wrote two more pages. I got carried away this week. That's why this is kind of delayed in getting to you. Because I realized, and and I've typed all this out, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second. I realized how important, again, the book of Revelation is. So... uh, Here on the slide in front of you uh, this week, week 50, is just Revelation 1. And as it says in the scriptures, God Almighty's guide sent to us through Jesus Christ, we'll see, for living during the last days. Now, look at this picture. Uh, when, When we were last serving in Europe, we actually were teaching in Greece, and we were able to take a plane and fly out to multiple islands at, when we did different classes. And this one is our Patmos. And so look what I did. I put the Book of Revelation. Uh, this is our Patmos lesson right here in the Aegean Sea. Do you see the water? I can't believe it, that, that we actually got to and now we're getting to, again, teach in the context. But in the next slide, I'm going to give you my summary. Now, remember, part of the 52 Greatest chapter study is that you spend all week long in the Bible, taking notes in your journal, using your study Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible, which of course I don't have with me because we're on the road and I only have it right here. Uh, I have my electronic copy of the MacArthur Study Bible here and Grudem and both of those I'm using in our lesson today. But you study the chapter, reading it through every day, looking for all the lessons and and principles, and then writing that prayer. So that's what I'm going to do with you. Here's my summary. The longest living and serving apostle was John. John was central to Christ's ministry. He was the one, remember, the one Jesus loved. Uh, The other disciples called him that because he was the one at the Last Supper that actually had his head leaning on Christ, and he he could tip his head back and whisper. I mean... Just think of that. There were 70 that went out under Christ's command during the Gospels. Then there were the 12. And then there were the three, Peter, James, and John. But then there was the one. 70, 12, 3, 1. The closest disciple to Christ, the beloved disciple, is John. So he was the one Jesus loved right there and was central to God's New Testament plan at the cross, Jesus chose John to carry for, to care for his mother, Mary. After the cross, Jesus, when Jesus restored Peter, do you remember when they were on the seashore in John 21? He told Peter that he had special plans for John, not to worry about John. He said, if he tarries till I return, don't worry about it. So that meant I have special plans for him. Uh, and so he did john became the final apostle he was the last living link to god the son in human flesh upon earth to an entire generation of churches especially in asia so when we when we're reading the book of revelation the one that was most pr- well known in the world of christendom was the apostle john six decades he had served christ since he followed him as a fisherman and walked with him through those three years of ministry, stood at the cross, witnessed the resurrection, and then launched out into decade after decade. I mean, after the cross, he's had over 50 years of ministry. Unbelievable of what the Lord used him to do. And so John, right here, served in the largest church, Eusebius, the church historian from Caesarea, tells us that that Ephesus was the largest church a total number of believers that communicated through uh, Ephesus, the Ephesian church, was maybe as many as 50,000. So it was a megachurch even back then. He wrote the premier gospel, the gospel by John. He wrote three more epistles, but then comes the apocalypse. John was the apostle of love. Do you remember he he loved that word, uses it in all of his gospels and epistles. He had a unique friendship with Christ that made him one, the one that Jesus wanted, look at this, to finish the word of God and deliver the final message that God had for believers on earth. John knew Jesus from his calling on the shores of Galilee. He followed Jesus during his entire ministry. He stood at the cross at the end. He ran to the cross and resurrection morn. When John wrote his account guided by the Holy Spirit of the life and ministry of Jesus, that's the gospel by John, it's 90% different than the other three Gospels. He was unique, special, chosen, gifted, everything you want to call it. So, last part of my introduction. Only John got to see the long view. See, most of the other apostles, uh, the other disciples, were picked off and killed and, and martyred and beheaded and speared and everything else that happened to them. John got the long view of what God was going Uh was going to do. Six decades of watching, following, serving, pondering, all he saw, the whole time teaching the word of God, everywhere he went, made John the one Jesus wanted to use to send. Now listen to what Revelation is, what God's plan was. God's interpretation and definition of all the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. How do we know that? Because the book of Revelation weaves together over 800 other quotations and allusions to other portions, every other part of the Bible. It's God commenting on how the Bible fits together, how the Old Testament message fits with the New Testament message, how both the Old and the New Testament messages apply to us who are trying to live in these ever-darkening days. And God had a plan, one summary message. And what it was is God wanted this unveiling of Christ to be the conclusion of his word. Kind of like, do you remember in the Mount Transfiguration? I think John never forgot that. Jesus uh, was up there and the glory cloud came down. And do you remember what Peter said? Oh, let's build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. And God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. God wants the focus to be on Christ. And, and look at this slide. That's why God gave this final summary message to his son, the Lord Jesus, who met John on Patmos, do you remember, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, on that island. You see in the background here, he said, here it is, write this down and get it to everyone. That's my paraphrase of what Jesus said. So, remember why we're doing what we're doing. Now, some of you, I know, some of you just joined. This is the very first one you watched. You saw Revelation. It looked interesting. You're in a one-year-long study through Genesis to Revelation. We're looking at the entire Bible, the message of the whole Bible that's summarized and crystallized in 52 passages. And we're using uh, what I call the devotional method, which We write down some specific things. Now look on the slide. First, we make a title for every one of the portions that we're studying. Then we're jotting down as many lessons and truths and doctrines. We use the MacArthur Study Bible to answer questions, to look for for background, for cross-references, for historical data, for grammatical data. Everything like that's in there. Uh, Online uh, resources, I use both the Blue Letter Bible and Logos Bible software. But look at this. We don't want to merely be hearers of the word. I think we have too much of that nowadays. We have people that could win every Bible trivia course, but they fall apart when they find out they have any kind of debilitating disease or job loss or they're scared to death of COVID. Or they spend their whole time politicizing the world, trying to get their way, their, whatever their, their political persuade, persuasion might be, instead of sticking to our great commission call to please God and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Why does that happen? Because they're not applying the scriptures to their life. So this is how I do it, and this is how I encourage you to do it. Write a prayer in which you ask the Lord to unleash at least one of the truths or lessons that you found in your study today into your life. And I'm going to show you at the very end how I do that, and I show you that in every lesson. Okay, this is where we are right here, and uh, this chart you see, uh, you can find it, first of all, on Facebook, on our page on Facebook. Do you remember? It's the 52 Greatest Chapters of the Bible. That's that's our Facebook page, and all of these lessons are posted there, and in the the photo section, you can actually print off this chart right here with the how-to and all the chapters we're on, or... Uh, an even better source is discoverthebook.org. That's, that's our website. And there you can actually download a document, a PDF in our resource section. So just go to www.discoverthebook.org. And there on our webpage, you'll find all of these videos. You'll find all of these resources. So just a word to you. But, but this is our chart looking at where we are. We're on week 50. Two more weeks to go. Oh, and I wanted to thank you for praying for us. I'm going to ask you at the end to keep praying for us, but Bonnie and I, we're on the road right now in just a a few weeks. We're headed off out of the country. I'm going to be uh, working overseas, coming back, doing some more Bible institutes here, then going again for three months. And we're scheduled to be uh, in the United Kingdom. Then we're going to be on the continent uh, teaching. Then we're going to go to the Middle East, and we're ending up Training at one of the, the, our favorite training centers in Asia, out on an island off of China. It's just the most amazing time to be training the next generation. That's, that's what we're called to do. And at the end of this video, I'll show you our prayer card. But do pray for us. Just like this, you know, we're always in a borrowed home, uh, staying somewhere, often eating food that, I, well, my wonderful wife Bonnie's over there, She's running this from her iPad. I'll never forget in one of the Asian places we were that they actually wanted to honor us. And they had batter fried bugs, beetles, all different sized beetles. And they fried them for us. They actually fried them in front of us because we were the guests of honor at this church we were speaking. And Bonnie got to be the first one to eat a bug. (laughs) <laughs> oh, her eyes. Her eyes got this big, and she's such a blessing. She just um, took the platter. They brought her this platter with the bugs on it, deep. I mean, they were hot and crispy right out of the fryer, and they went like this, and she took one and put it on her plate, and we prayed, and I I prayed silently for much grace, and they prayed in in their language, and I couldn't understand it, but I was praying in my heart. And Bonnie picked up that bug and just popped it in and chewed it up and, uh, and said she was full and didn't need any more bugs. But, okay, here's the slide. This is Revelation 1 to 22's message for all of us. And now, remember, I've been working on the whole book, and, and I've already uh, done the 52-chapter method on every chapter, all 22 of them. And this is my conclusion. How to live for God in an ever-darkening world. And I'm going to go through every part of this chart, but because of my little bubble head, I'm going to go like this and make it a little smaller so, so that you can see it at all. But here's a chronology. About 30 A.D., Jesus starts his ministry, is crucified, and the ascension. By 33 A.D., he returns to heaven. Then we have the church you read about in Acts And then after that, you start reading about Paul's missionary journeys from the early 40s to the 50s, and then he's in prison by the 60s, and he's martyred before the 70s, and the rest of the apostles are gone, so that by AD 90, only John is left. And John may have been as long as a decade on Patmos. We don't know. But Domitian and uh, Domitian, If you want to do a a study on emperors, he was an amazing emperor. Uh, I had the privilege when I was teaching, uh, I taught Romans and Galatians in the city of Rome a few months back. I couldn't believe that I had the privilege and was invited to do that. And on one of the free days, I actually took just a handful of students with me to go see Domitian's house. His house is on the Palatine Hill from which the word palace comes from. And it became, he took... Augustus Caesar's home that had been lived in by Tiberius and others, and he didn't think it was big enough, so he enlarged it to cover the entire Palatine Hill, and that's where the word palace comes from, or palatial in English. And that massive structure had fountains, indoor fountains, uh, hundreds of rooms. It covers the whole top of the hill towering over the forum. That's what his emperorship was like, towering over, kind of overpowering everybody by its massive power displays. Well, one of his power displays was, look, he found John and put him on Patmos. Now, why is this so important? Because Jesus comes back, and before he sees John on Patmos, Jesus visited all the churches that had received the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the epistles. Everything was everywhere by the time we get here. So Jesus comes back to what basically we're like. See, we have all the epistles, the Old, New Testament, all the Gospels and epistles, everything in the Bible. And Jesus comes back and checks what's going on in the lives of the people that know what God expects from them, that know God says we should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, to know that he stands and knocks at the door and wants to meet with us every day. All the things we know in the Bible. Jesus came back to see how the churches were doing. Now, now look at this. all The first generation church, the ones that were alive during Christ's ministry, had come, and gone. Remember, people only lived to be in about their 50s. If you were in your 60s, you were considered aged. That's what Paul was called. If you were as old as John was in his 80s, you were kind of like unique. People, by looking at the dental, uh, archaeological dental work that are in the, the sarcophagi and the ossuaries and all the bone collections of the ancient world, most people lived to be old in their 50s. Few people made it beyond that. And so here is that generation was gone by 60 AD and the apostles were gone. And now we're in the second generation church that no one other than John had personally experienced Christ uh, in the flesh. And they were only living by the word of God being taught in their churches and that they personally read if they had a copy, if they were wealthy enough or looked at someone else's copy. And Jesus comes back to see how they're doing. This is the most applicable book to our generation, our high-tech, everyone-has-everything-on-their-phone generation of the world, which God says is the last days. He said that in Hebrews chapter 1. This is Jesus looking at us as he looked at them to see how they're doing with his word. Okay, so they have the word, Jesus comes and reports to John what he found out. So that's the whole book of Revelation, how to live for God in an ever-darkening world, and it's totally tied to how we do with his word. Okay, now for just a moment, I want to give you an overview of Revelation from Patmos. And here's my Bible sitting on a rock. This is the Aegean Sea. Uh, looking off in the distance at the island of Patmos, and here we go. Watch this 2 minute and 39 second clip. What does God think someone needs when they're struggling and alone and in danger? Well, the book of Revelation was written to someone just like that. The Apostle John was on a rocky, barren island called Patmos on the Aegean Sea. That's exactly where we are right now, a rocky, barren seaside island on the Aegean Sea. And John remembered the loss of all of his beloved brothers in ministry. The apostles had each been hunted down and martyred by the empire. He was the last one, and they got him, and they put him here in exile. But as the years went by, he began to remember. He remembered his beloved city, was gone, destroyed, leveled, the hundreds of thousands of fellow Jews massacred or sold into slavery. And now here he was, old, weak, alone, and in danger. So what does God think you need when the empire is against you and hunting you down and when the world seems to be headed toward destruction? Well, sounds kind of like the times we live in, if you're listening to the news at all about global warming and water scarcity and the environment being destroyed by humanities, industries, and CO2 emissions, it's true. The earth is shaking and groaning and dying, just like it says in God's Word. And so what's the, the most encouraging thing that God could send? well to the apostle john it was this book of revelation and he said you're blessed if you read it and you're blessed if you heed it and you're blessed if you keep the things that are written in it and that's what this course is about we're looking at the book of revelation we're looking at every chapter we're looking at every word we're looking at every truth and doctrine and attribute of god we're seeing god's roadmap of the future but most of all we're getting the blessing of being encouraged as God tells us what's ahead and the fact that he knows right where we are. He knew John was here on a rocky island and he knows your address today. And that's what we need to trust his presence, his care, and his plan. What a joy. I can still hear the waves as I stood there and recorded this clip for all of you. And, and it's just such a blessing to see the book of Revelation sitting there on that rock, just like John was on that rock out in Patmos. But here's my journal, and, and I've waved it around in front of you for so long. Here it is typed out. Uh, this is what I write in my journal, week 50, Revelation 1. Remember, we all do a title one time, because I do this multiple times every day I study through Jesus Today, I wrote, is one of my titles. Uh, and then another title is The Risen Christ Today and Forever. And then another one was How to Live in These Darkening Days. Here's the summary. The book of the Revelation Jesus Christ sits at the end of the Bible for many reasons. It's unique. It's the only book of the Bible gave that God gave to Jesus to give to us. Notice that it's the only book of the Bible that God gives to Jesus to give to us. Think of that. You have a book that God gave to you via his son. So it's kind of like if someone comes to visit you from someone that's very special to you, and they said, oh, I have a present from you know, your grandmother or your parents or your wife sent this. Well, God sent this. And so his son, our Savior Jesus Christ, gave us a gift from God, and that should make us pause. And I think we all need to pause. Pause. I think a lot of people that that Revelations kind of become ho-hum. It's kind of like, oh, it's all that gory stuff, or it's all that confusing stuff. No. In fact, look over here at my Bible. I want to show you what I mean. Let me get to the right page here. I've been waving it around so much I had it open to the right page. But here's Revelation. And by the way, on this last trip, I got ripped here. So... The pages are coming out, but I've got a new one. Don't worry. But I just brought this one on this trip. But here we are in Revelation, and look what it says in verse 1. The revelation, and I wrote here this is the Greek word apokalypsis, which means unveiling, of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God the Father gave him, Jesus Christ, to show his servants. That's us. We're the servants. So, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So, Jesus came, and we're going to cover that in this chapter, and talks to John with a loud trumpet-like voice. And then what we see after Jesus talks to him in chapter 1, 2, and 3, that an angel takes him on a tour of heaven. And from heaven, we look down through John's eyes and see the earth during the tribulation. I mean, what a gift this is. Look at it that. It's, it's which God gave him, Jesus, to show us, his servants. And, and his servant John, who bore witness, this is John's testimony, to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things he saw. This is John saying, yep, I'm kind of like raising his hand and saying, uh, I'm telling the truth, the whole truth. And then look at this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And look at this. Keep those things. Can you see I've been just writing and and it just this has been an incredible week. And I hope I hope that this video launches you into one of the best studies. That's why we're at 50, 51, and 52, the end of our 52, our year-long study. Because this is the best. Okay? Back to the slides. That's why God the Father set this book apart from all the other sixty-six books. They're all inspired, they're all God-breathed, they're all flawless, they're all inerrant, they're all the Word of God, but revelation is all of that plus something. God the Father wants Christ's church, that's us, to understand what he has planned. Not just so we become prophecy buffs or something, but look at this. So we live with a guidebook to enter the last days Look what's been going on. A cosmic battle that's raged since before the Garden of Eden. So we could summarize Revelation as a map of the future to guide us in making wise and proper eternal investments with our life. Now wait for a minute. If you have a choice of what to do in life, uh, you want a personal testimony. When I was in high school, I won several prizes. I I mean, all of us win prizes, right, in high school. So I won a prize. I won an oceanographic scholarship to go on the Calypso with Jacques Cousteau. I wanted with all my heart to be an oceanographer. I I was a scuba diver. I was certified. I loved oceanography. I did all kinds of experiments in high school, in the lab, and I, I, I turned them in and got into contests. Of course, you know our parents... I'm sure you do this with your kids, or if you're uh, a child, you've seen your parents do that. You try and, you know, push your kids forward. Well, my parents really pushed me, and I won. And I got a full scholarship to go on a year-long oceanographic uh, exploration on Cousteau's boat. He was on the boat. That's not all. I, I got another scholarship to go to MIT to work on... Data Transmission on Lasers in 1974. Now, you'll have to look at Wikipedia. I mean, they just figured out light amplification by stimulating emitted radiation. That's LASER. I mean, all I'm telling you that for is that I had incredible opportunities, full scholarships, uh, and others. And you know what? The Lord got my attention and I won't tell that story, but I I got I got called up short by some choices I made that, that I knew from the Bible I shouldn't, and actually had a law official from the Attorney General's office drop off a subpoena to me to testify in a trial where I was a part of the proceedings. And boy, did I cry out to the Lord and say, I know I'm running from you. I'm trying everything, whether it's oceanography or... Law or MIT physics, I want to serve you. And you know what I did? I turned down the scholarship to Michigan State University, to the University of Michigan, to the Oceanographic Institute, to MIT, and I went to a Christian school in South Carolina where they made you cut your hair and wear a belt and tuck your shirt in all the time. And I learned a lot of discipline, and I learned the Bible. And that's where I was challenged to read the Bible through once for every year I was old. And while I was there at that school, that's where I met a former alumni of the school whose name was John MacArthur. And that's where he invited me to come on staff with him. And it changed my life only because of this. Look back right here. A wise and proper investment of our lives, time, treasures, and talents. I learned that the greatest thing in the world is not to make as much money as possible and have as much fun and as much adventure and everything else, but to be God's servant. And I hope that's what you learned from Revelation. Here we go. Here are my lessons. This, this, and I don't know if I'm going to make through all of them because I found so many. I found 20-some lessons in the first chapter. And that's where I hope that this, don't rush through this. You might need to take two weeks, three weeks to do the chapter 1 study. And when you get to 2 and 3, I don't know how long it'll take you, but here we go. Revelation 1, 1a. Now, look over here at my Bible. This is just the beginning. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Now, look at this slide. God gave you a map of the future. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the first part of it, that's what the little a means. It means the first section of the verse. Revelation is God giving Jesus the map of the future for Jesus to share with us, his servants, so what we will always know and operate in life, understanding how we fit with God's plan for the future. That's, what, that's my first lesson, okay? See how easy these are? Now, here's my map. I teach through, and you can find uh, at our website or on YouTube, you can find the the Understanding Revelation. All of the the books I've taught are called Understanding. They're playlists in YouTube, and they're they're in our website, discoverthebook.org. But this is from my Understanding Revelation. This is a little animated slide. Let me show you. Uh, Here we are, all of us right now, according to Revelation 1. We're the church on earth. The next thing that happens is what the Bible calls the rapture, It's described in John 14, Luke 24, Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. We go and stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we become what we see in Revelation 4 and chapter 19, the church in heaven. While we're up there, John is shown the tribulation on earth and it's it's basically most of Revelation chapter 6 to 18. Then it it ends with Christ coming in fiery indignation, executing vengeance on all his foes, and that's where they're they're killed uh, at the Battle of Armageddon. Then Jesus actually reigns as king on the throne of his uh, of David, you know, as the the uh, Christmas carol goes, and. He shall reign on the throne of his father, David, if you know that Christmas carol. That's right here, okay? Then there's a rebellion after a thousand years. Even with Jesus on the earth and a nearly perfect environment, most of humanity rebels and God just extinguishes them and puts them in front of the great white throne and that's how Revelation chapter 20 ends. And then when he's done with that, Revelation 21 is heaven, and we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's a quick summary of the book of Revelation. Here's my second lesson from my journal. We are to be God's servants. Look back over here at Revelation 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show what? What's that right there? His servants, the things which must shortly take place. Okay, back here to the slide. Remember, that there's hardly anything revealed in Revelation that's new or original. Rather, it is a systematic repetition of everything God the Father says we need to know from all the rest of the Bible. It's from everywhere else. It's from the Old Testament and, quotes, almost every other New Testament book is alluded to. Everything that God the Father says from the whole Bible, we need to know to choose to live the rest of our life. Look at this. As God's servant, it's a whole purpose of Revelation. God says, "I'm going to show you what's going to happen. I'm going to show you the ending, so you see, there's nothing better in life than serving me. It's better than a wall full of trophies. Uh, a friend of mine has a wall full of golf balls. Can you believe this? He collects a golf ball from every course globally. He goes to not only all the American ones; he goes overseas." Did you know that serving God and being a servant is better than having a wall of golf balls? Why? Look at this. Remember, that was the plan Jesus had for his life. So if you want to do, remember the old bracelets they used to wear, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do? Matthew 20, 28. Look over here at my Bible. As my wonderful wife Bonnie reminds me, she said, not everybody knows all those verses you say you know, so show them, so I will. Matthew twenty twenty eight, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Back to the slide, Matthew 20, 28. That was Jesus' plan for his life. It was also the operating system that Christ's greatest follower, named the Apostle Paul, used to accomplish more than anyone else recorded in the New Testament accomplished for the spread of Christ's church. So Paul was the greatest follower of Christ. What was his operating system? See it right there? First Corinthians four one. Okay, look over here. Let's get to First Corinthians four one. Oh pages are falling out. You know what? If you see someone whose Bible's falling apart, most likely their life is not. That's what my professor told me once. Let's get to First Corinthians chapter four, verse one. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. I wrote here, there are eight New Testament words for servants. This is the lowest, a galley slave. It's the word hupe retes. And up here, I wrote down all the things. In fact, I wrote all this. uh, Bonnie and I got to be teaching in Athens. And on one of our field trips, we went to Corinth. And I got to teach... 1 Corinthians chapter 4, standing on the tramway. Look at this next slide right here. This is a galley slave, this boat right here, okay? And see all these telephone pole size paddles are right here. Here are the Roman soldiers, and, you know, all of them are up above deck. And look down here. All these slaves are chained down to the deck, and they have... uh, Shackles on, and they're paddling these paddles. They were called galley slaves. Okay, now this is Paul's testimony. Uh, he chose to live 1 Corinthians 4 1 as a servant. Here's the Greek word, hupe retes, of Christ, which by the way, it's the same word used for the other greatest servant. There are two great servants of God. In the Old Testament, the greatest Old Testament figure that has more chapters written about him. Uh, 141 to be exact, and anyone else, his name is David, and the greatest New Testament servant, who wrote half the New Testament, Paul, both are described by the Holy Spirit with the same Greek word. Right here it is on the slide, hupe rates. It's the same word used of David in Acts 13.36. Here, over here in my Bible, Acts 13. Thirty-six. You know, one of these days you're going to find if my slides have a mistake. Here it is. For David, after he had served, look what I wrote, galley slave, Retes his own generation by the will of God fell asleep and was buried. Wow, that's amazing that God described, this is God's description through the Apostle Paul of David, and he served God's purpose in his own generation by the will of God. Wow. Okay, back to the slides. What, what does a huperetes mean? What is a galley slave? One of these people that was on the tramway that I stood on, that connected the Saronic and the uh, uh, Gulf of uh, the Tyranian Sea going over to Italy. The, the incredible galley slaves that powered the Roman Empire's boats, what were they like? Well, number one, they rowed to the captain's beat. They, they didn't do what they wanted. There was a drum and it said paddle, and they did. They learned to row together because they were chained together, and if they didn't, they got whipped and, and thrown overboard and died, you know. Uh, they had to learn to trust the captain because only he knew when they were going to get water, food, and where they were going By the way, they were chained for life. They were like disposable batteries. When you couldn't paddle, they threw you overboard. And when they were working, notice where they were. They were under the deck. Who was seen? Just the important people, not them. When they were working, they were never seen. If you ever saw a galley slave out in public, he wasn't doing his job. So what does that mean spiritually? They were submissive sensitive to each other, trusting of the captain, dedicated for life, and humble. How do I please the Lord? By making the daily choice to be his bondservant. Look back here at Revelation chapter 1. That illustration on that slide is, is this verse right here. To show his servants. This actually is another Greek word. It's doulos, which isn't a huperetes. It's a, the most common servants were just bond servants. They were just bought for something. And that's what all of us are. We're bought by the Lord. And look, John was a servant. All of us in the church are Christ's servants. And when you get to Revelation, the ending, I love this. What What's around at the end? Two things in Revelation 22. God and his servants, and there should be no more curses. This is Revelation twenty-two. The throne of God, the Lamb, shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. There's only, there are only two things left at the end: God and his servants. And wherever God is, is heaven. So we, his servants, are in heaven with him. Okay, back to the slides. That's the picture I want you to have in Revelation that we're his servants. Okay, here's my third lesson. Remember, I found like 20, and I'm going to speed up. God wants us to know his plan and be confident. It says in Revelation uh, chapter 1 and the next part, which, uh, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John. Signified it. Uh, showed it. So this book was sent to show us God's plan. It's a personal touch, right, from God the Father. He wants us to know his plan. He wants us to be confident. Have, have you ever said, hey, I, I've been left out. You know, everybody else knows about it but me. you ever had that feeling, you know, at work or at school or in your neighborhood, everybody's doing something and you got left out? God says you're not left out. I want you to know what's happening. And I want you to be confident in my plan and what I want for you to do. My fourth observation I'm still in the first verse. Jesus chose the most deity-focused gospel writer. John, who charted a path of presenting Christ as divine, didn't follow the pattern of the synoptics. That's the see-together gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John continues his list of sevens to show more condensed and powerfully stated truths about the divinity of Christ drawn from every corner of the Old Testament plus from the gospel of John, than in any other book of the Bible. That's why this is called the unveiling of Christ. Because this is all about more concentrated truth about Christ than any other part of the Bible. That's why I wrote Revelation is a goldmine of Christology. Jesus picked John to follow me. That's John chapter 1, uh, verse 40. Verse 40, well, let's look at it. I've got it marked here. John chapter 1, uh, right here. Follow me. And that's that's the lesson that Jesus gave. And that's what he says in 21 uh, when he reminds the disciples of their calling. He says, um, what is that to you? Follow me. So basically, look at the slide. Jesus picked John and the other 12 to follow him. And so John did follow him. He wrote the gospel that was written to prove Jesus was the Christ. That's John 20, 30, and 31. We can't get a higher rating for authenticity than such a starting as the book of Revelation that says this. God says, I'm giving this map of the future to Jesus, who says, I'm giving it to John, my beloved apostle, to give to my church. So, God the Father gave it to Jesus, God the Son, who gave it to his beloved apostle, who gave it to each of us. It's the very inspired word to help us live in the last days. Here's my fifth lesson I learned. And notice it says A because it's so big it takes two slides, okay? How to live the best life possible. That's verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 over here in my Bible. Because I want you to mark these things. Now, don't mark as much as me because I'll make the pages come out. But just mark enough so you can remember this. But look at what it says in 3. Blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps the things that are written. Now, over to the slide. How do you live the best life possible on earth? Verse 3 says, God wants each of us to know his pathway is simple. Read, hear, and keep his plan. The word reads is actually the first century elder pastor of each assembly who got this letter, the only copy, and communicated it by every means to saints. Remember, they didn't have a Bible back then. They didn't have their own copy. They didn't have multiple copies on their digital device. There was one, and it was precious. It cost a fortune to copy it on that scroll and to ship it and when it came, the, the pastor, elder of the church would undo the scroll and pull it open and stand in front and read it to them. Now look back at the slide. That means that he did it from house to house because not everybody made it to service. He did it at the gathered service, this elder pastor, and he did it in personal small group times because some of them, you know, maybe were hard of hearing or slow of hearing or whatever, and they just needed help. And so the key to this word is this, exposure. Blessed is he who is exposed to God's message so others can know what God has revealed. For us, that means getting our copy of God's word before us and personally studying what he's said. Secondly, hears means that the goal was that the listeners of the reading stops on any other voices or activities or events and tunes in to listening to God's message. It's like putting your headphones in or your AirPods and turning everything off but one sound at a time for your brain to process. So blessed are those who get exposed to the Word of God, but not just exposed. It's not like lots of other sounds. It's kind of like walking through the mall and hearing all the different sounds and music and people talking and everything else. It's when you see someone put on their headphones and they go, they've tuned everything else out. Or they push in their AirPods. And you know, if you're talking to them and they go, "Uh uh-huh, that they're focusing on one thing. Look at this. Put in your spiritual headphones or AirPods and tune out everything but one thing. What's that? Hearing God's message. Now, next slide. The key to this word hears means to focus. First we get exposed, then we focus on just God's message till you get it. Then keeps. This is when we go from merely being a hearer, but now a doer. The word literally means to guard. Tereo is the Greek word. It's like a treasure. When we realize we've just received something that's different from everything else that are common and regular or temporary, it becomes a treasure to us. And We have to hold on to it tightly. Uh, if you have a treasure, you you keep track of it constantly. You ever notice how people they spend so much money on their phone? They know where it is. They guard their their expensive you know earpieces and headphones. I see people when I travel; they have these expensive Bose silencing ones, and they keep they wear them in the airport around their neck. They don't want to lose them. Your wallet, your purse, your 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 pen, everything that's important to us, is a treasure. And what? Look at this slide. We guard it. We hold on to it tightly. By the way, how does Paul describe what it means to treasure? Let's look at first Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. Uh, verses six to sixteen. Here we go. Instruct the brethren in these things. You'll be a good minister, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Reject, verse 7, profane, or wise fable. Exercise yourself to godliness. But look at verse 12. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, exhortation, to doctrine. So, again, they're, they're reading the Bible out loud because they didn't all have their own copy. Do not neglect the gift that's in you that was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. I wrote, this is what I wrote, deepen your walk, devote yourself to the pursuit of Christ. That's meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and the doctrine, continue in them. These are the steps, 1 Timothy 4 from 6 to 16 are the steps of how to treasure the Word of God. You read it, you study it, you meditate on it, you share it, you know it, you live it, and you let it transform your life. Okay, next, next lesson I found, number six. The message was to all believers then and now. <laughs> okay, back to my Bible. We're only on verse four. Do you all remember the whole way that this study started? Bonnie and I in 2016 were happily leading 10 small group studies. Bonnie was discipling all these uh, women of all ages, especially uh, young mothers and those that were uh, training their children and teaching. And, and I was teaching men, men's groups, I had all these men's groups, uh, policemen and, and sports people and businessmen and, and uh, all kinds of groups. But then the Lord laid on our heart to go to reach those that don't have all of that we have here to go as missionaries overseas. And so I felt bad leaving all my groups behind. And so I told you when I started this, that starting in 2017, when we were on the road, I says, honey, I want to have a small group. And so I started having small groups online and you are my ultimate small group. This I, I am, I'm sitting at this little rickety table that I keep shaking. You probably see it in my Bible shaking, but I imagine that you're sitting over there and that I'm showing you my Bible and that I'm asking you to show me your notebook. And I'm saying, what did you learn this week? How did you do studying? And what are some of the applications? And, and let me see your prayer. And what is the Lord doing in changing your life? See, that's what God wants us to do. Now look at this slide. In verse 4, I would show you, if we were sitting at Starbucks or Chipotle or Panera wherever, what it says. And Here it is, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Notice I highlighted this. Look at his, his focus. Seven churches. They're all in orange. Seven churches. Seven churches, seven churches, seven churches, seven churches, seven churches. Do you get it? Seven churches, The churches, the churches, the churches. do you see? Now look at the slide. To the seven churches, which were local churches in the first century, speaks of seven, a complete set, and churches' plural is all churches. Why did he say to the seven churches? Because there were a lot more than seven churches in Asia, but he picked seven to be a set of churches. Now, they were all probably planted by the church in Ephesus, you know, through Paul's work or maybe through John later, but it doesn't matter how. But everyone knew that there were a lot more than seven, but when he picked seven, to those that knew the Old Testament, seven was a complete set. So a complete set of all the churches. Back to the slide there. John was the human instrument. Jesus chose to deliver this vital message. Why? Simply because John and the other apostles obeyed Christ's simple call. They just followed him. John followed Jesus. Jesus used John. It was that simple. And it still is now. Do you want to have a life that is very strategic, very um, significant? I just had a conversation with someone and they said, "Well, I want to do something significant with my life. I thought, What's the most significant thing you could do? Well, to find out, God the Father, the Almighty God of the universe, through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, sent us his plan for every one of us to live the most significant, the most strategic life possible. And he wrote it down. And it's right here. Okay, now... I'm going to just go by. This is my seventh observation. Jesus has loved me and washed me. Uh, from verse 6, our eternal purpose to be his priest. Number 9 in verse 7, Christ's coming will seen by all and mourned by those. Uh, that's what he says. By the way, the seven churches are right here. This is uh, Turkey. Uh, Turkey, this is Cyprus. Uh, up here is Lebanon, Syria. This is Israel right here. So you know where we are. This is the island of Crete. But look at this. Ephesus, Smyrna, this dot, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, or Philadelphia, Laodicea. Now look, they didn't mention the church at Miletus, the church at Colossae, you know, all these other churches, Perga, um, the Galatian churches. Peter is writing to Cappadocia and Bithynia. There were lots of churches. These seven were a complete set. Okay, and That takes us to my 10th observation. Now we're only in verse 8. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the Almighty. Jesus embodies all the attributes of God the Father. As Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father who is invisible. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? Simply this. If we just apply the big four most well-known truths or attributes about God, we can say this. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving. That means all-powerful is omnipotent. Omniscient is all-knowing. Omnipresent is is all-present. And all-loving, that he is good and gracious, he's faithful, he's just. But those are just truths. How do we apply them? Let me show you. Jesus wants us to put this theological box around our life that we find in verse 8. If we use those four attributes as a divinely built car that we drive through life in, knowing nothing can get into our car's interior that God, uh, that the God we know is defined by his word hasn't chosen to enter our space. Now, the reason I'm saying that is I just read about the latest Lexus. It was on Bloomberg. They said that it has the most amazing system where it's actually totally airtight and no air comes in except what comes through their system and it's totally filtered. And I thought about being in this little bubble where you're surrounded by steel and high tech stuff and filters. Okay, so look at this slide. Nothing is going to get into our car like that Lexus except uh, what's in here. Nothing gets to us that God didn't know about in advance as being best for us. That's what omniscience means. God knew ahead of time what would be best to have enter our car. (laughs) What can get by the filter of his omniscience? What can get by the filter of his omnipotence? See this? There's nothing that God didn't allow as being best for us and that God didn't plan as being best for us and that God is not right there with us during its arrival. So God knew it was coming, omniscience. He was powerful enough to filter it out if he didn't want it. He is so loving, he knows what's best for us, and he's there with us when it arrives. Now let me illustrate that. We can apply the attributes of God to all of our struggles and fears. I just read again uh, that right now there is a... um, Mental health crisis that people are scarred, that people are injured, that people are permanently emotionally disabled because of COVID. For all the things. I mean, they've been living in anxiety, they're going to die. Then they've been living in anxiety, their mask wasn't right. And then they're not sure whether they have enough. you know, of the boosters and of the COVID shots, or they're not even sure they should take the COVID shots, or they're convinced that they're poison. And so there's this anxiety going on. And now uh, they're starting to unmask, and they're having new boosters, and they're having new variants, and some countries are abandoning, and it's, it's just caused confusion and fear and insecurity. So how do we, with our struggles... And fears, how do we deal with that? Well, here is a listing of all God's 25 attributes. Independence, unchangeableness, eternity, omnipresence, unity, spirituality, invisibility. These are from Grudem, okay? Now look at this. His big four I just showed you. Omnipresence, omniscience, those are the ones everybody knows. His love, you know, God is love, and omnipotence, okay? Now watch this. We can apply the attributes of God to get our fears and our struggles and our anxieties into perspective. Let's put them into the box, okay? So, we need to learn to trust God with our accidents, our financial hits, our unexpected losses, cancer, uh, whatever we're facing, okay? So, we're trusting God. God is good. He always loves us. God is omniscient. He knows everything before it happens. God is omnipresent. He's with us uh, right here in the car. And God is so powerful, nothing can break into our car that we go through life in, that God doesn't lovingly cause to happen, omnisciently know, um, with us omnipresently face, and all-powerfully not keep away. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay. Either God is good or bad. The next thing that happens to you, you lose your job or you get a bad test or someone uh, tragically dies, either God is good or bad. He's either wise or dumb. He missed that one. He's either all-powerful or he couldn't prevent that from happening. He's either everywhere present or God is cosmically absent. Now look at this. Revelation says our responses to life's struggles... Declare to a watching world whether we're trusting God. So, trusting God means nothing accidentally touches us. He always loves us. He always knows us. He's all-powerful, and he's with us. There are no accidents. Nothing touches our lives that God has not planned. Okay, my, that was my 10th observation. Here's my 11th we can stay full of the Holy Spirit even in the worst of times. The Apostle John has endured the horrors of the destruction of Jerusalem, the massacre of a million fellow Jews, the systematic hunting down of his fellow apostles by the Roman Empire. This is when he's on Patmos, when John gets revelation. He's gone through all these things. He's seen the wickedness of Nero. He's seen the, the empire convulsed by four competing emperors after Nero. And finally, the very personal adversary of John becomes the Emperor Domitian. Remember the one with the palatial hilltop home that hunted down John, captured John, exiled John, and left him far from anyone he's loved and served. Now, look what Revelation 1.9 says. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ that's a.k.a. hunted down by Domitian, was on the island that's called Patmos, uh-huh, Domitian, for the word of God, because I wouldn't back down, in the testimony of Jesus Christ, because I kept telling everybody there was only one way, no other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved, Jesus Christ, and he wrote a very popular book about it, the Gospel by John. Look at this, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Back to the slide. John says we can stay full of the Holy Spirit even in the worst of times. Yet, here it is again, a Sunday. And wherever John finds himself, that's always the Lord's Day. Look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Back to the slide. And note this. John is in the Spirit on that Sunday. That's... The key to serving God at the end of days. Did you catch that? We must stay full of the Spirit walking through life in Christ. We can live in the Spirit no matter what's going on around us, what we're going through. Let me show you that real quick. Right here in Lamentations 3. It's a chapter from God entitled How to Make It Through Anything. So take your Bible. And i in past greatest chapters I've alluded to this, but I just want to show it to you. Bonnie reminded me that I didn't show you. I just told you, okay? Look at Lamentations 3. This is what Jeremiah the prophet's going through. He has led me and made me walk in darkness. He had an unclear path. He has aged my flesh and my skin. Uh, He had broken physical health. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness. He had deep emotional strain. Kind of sounds like COVID long long haulers, they call them. He has set me in dark places. He was depressed. He has hedged me in. I'm trapped. He has made my chain heavy. I'm burdened. He has shut out my prayers. I'm out of touch. He has blocked my ways. I'm frustrated. He has made my path crooked. I'm confused. He has uh, been to me a bear lying in wait. That's fears like a lion in ambush. You have moved my soul far from peace. (laughs) I like that. That's being anxious. I've forgotten prosperity. That's being sad. My strength and my hope... That's, my strength is gone. That's weakness. Um, my hope has perished. That's hopelessness. Look at that. Look at verse 20. Now I'm on Lamentations 3.21. So this is how bad Jeremiah was. He, he was broken, physical health, unclear path, strained, depressed, trapped, burdened, out of touch, frustrated, confused, fearful, anxious, sad, weak, and hopeless. This I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. How on earth did you have hope? By the way, Greek word hupomone. It's through the Lord's mercy we're not consumed. So it's based on doctrinal truth about God. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now look at this Old Testament statement of being in Christ. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I hope in him. Look back at the slides. The only way to make it at the end of days, is to stay full of the Spirit, walking life in Christ. Like Jeremiah declares, you can make it through anything with God. That's my 11th observation. By the way, when we get to next week, I'm going to talk to you about Nero. I'm talking about Domitian. There's his face. Even the worst of them all, Diocletian. That's when we get in chapter 2. And by the way, Nero started it, Domitian kept it going, it just got worse for the church until for 300 years, the church was hunted and savaged And God. Number 12 there, the only picture of Jesus in the Bible is in Revelation 1, 9 through 20. And you can just look at his hair, his eyes, uh, his feet, his voice, his hands, his mouth and his face. It's such a good study. Uh, the 13th lesson, the Eternal One has a message for every believer. My 14th lesson, Jesus is watching you right now and always from verse 12. Uh, Jesus is compassionate. He feels our fears, weaknesses, and pains. Look at, look at verse 13 real quickly with me. And I, this is one of the richest chapters in the Bible. So uh, if you have to stop and go eat dinner, just put me on pause. But I'm going to finish this because it was so good. Look at verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothes the garment down to his feet, gird about his chest with a golden band. Basically, uh, this, this term, the garment, the Greek word is only used in the Old Testament. When they translate the Old Testament into Greek, the Septuagint it's called, that word is only used for the priest. And so it's very, uh, totally probable that John used that word from the Old Testament to say, look at the slides, that Jesus is dressed like a priest. Uh, I put a priest physician because that's where priests were in the Old Testament. They examined people for whether they had leprosy, whether they were clean or unclean, if they were over their disease and all that. So in verse 13, Jesus is examining us as a priest physician, but he's also the son of man. Now, look at these two passages. I want to read those to you. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 with me. And these, if you don't have these underlined, uh, this is vital. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus destroyed the devil Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were subject to bondage. And now look at this, verse 17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation. For in that he himself, that's Jesus, has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. If you ever feel that you're tempted like no one else, Jesus says, I understand. Maybe your friends don't. Maybe no one's gone through what you've gone through. But I have. And I understand. Now look at chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Seeing them, we have a great... So Hebrews 4, verse 14. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin... Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Back to the slide. Jesus is the compassionate one. He feels our weaknesses and pains. He was tempted in all points. He feels our pain, our struggles, our weaknesses, our fears. He wants to help us in every time of need. That might be the best lesson. I mean, that's number 15. What what was the most frequently recorded emotion of Jesus in the Gospels? Moved with compassion. So, Revelation chapter 1 has all these lessons. Here's another one. Uh, number 16, uh, Jesus is glowing white, not like flat white. His hair was glowing, his feet are of brass, um, his voice is huge. Uh, His words are like a sword. Those are 16, 17, 18. Oh, the 19th one, Jesus is the great I am. Look at verse 17 of Revelation 1. See, this is just to launch you. You're going to need extra time this week. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. He said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Look back at the slide. Uh, Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Remember, John... The writer of the Gospel by John is the I am recorder in his Gospel. Eight times he says I am in Revelation, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, you know, and here are the references where they are. You can find these when you read through Alive Forevermore, uh, Root and Offspring. But look at this. This parallels what John did in his Gospel. You know these, I'm the bread of life, 635, I'm the light of the world, 812, I'm the door of the sheep, 10. And look at this, as bread of life, he sustains us apart from his only unsatisfied hunger. He illumines us. We're in impenetrable darkness without him. He admits us to life. Without him, we're hopeless. See, all of these I am's are just what builds into the book of Revelation. So that's huge. And you can spend some time this week. Okay, Number 20, God unfolds this message about the future in three phases. So the 20th lesson is so important. It's the outline of the whole book. God unfolds this message about the future in three phases. Look at verse 19 and see how he does that. Write the things which are. Now notice I wrote chapter 1 there. uh, The things which you have seen and the things which are. I wrote. Chapter 2 and 3, right there. And the things which will take place after this. Now look at the slide. The things which you have seen, chapter 1. The things that are, chapters 2 and 3. And the things that will be after those things, is chapter 4 to 22. Isn't it amazing Jesus explains the calm around God's throne, that's chapter 4 and 5, before the chaos of the disintegration of Earth's environment until hardly no one could survive. Look at this. The throne is the only way to understand the future. And and that's, that's part of this outline, and that's what we'll see in our final week, uh, week 52. Here's number 21. We're called to reflect Christ's light in the world, and that's in verse 20. Look over at my Bible. In the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels. Now, remember, that's, That word angelos means messenger, and the messenger of the churches was never an angel like angel with trumpets and flying around. They were always people. So these messengers are the unique, called, gifted, what every other part of the Bible calls the pastor-teachers of the churches. So the stars, it means Jesus is holding these, these stars that represent the called, Elders and pastors and teaching elders of the churches. But here's the point. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now look back over here. We in the church are called to reflect Christ's light in the world. The lampstands are the churches, the stars are the messengers to the churches. The oil in the lamps of the tabernacle pictured the Holy Spirit. If we are like as a church, like a lampstand, when we're ignited by the Spirit, in other words, when we're born again, we can shine and hold forth the word of life. That's the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of the church, to be his lights in the world. Whew. Wow. My application prayer. Remember, and I wrote out many of these. Here's just one of them that I want to share with you. And and we would, if we are sitting at the table... Uh, having coffee or lunch or supper, or doing this Bible study, we would each read them. But I'll read mine. Lord, I want you to—I want to know and follow your plan. Help me to read and hear what you're saying and keep what you want me to keep. You love me, you loose me, you wash me. You're the Almighty. Sunday is your day. As you walk around your church, may you find me healthy. Use your sword in my life to keep me useful and pure. For Jesus' sake, I pray, amen. I kind of summarized all my prayers. And I hope that you can apply part of this wonderful chapter to your life this week. My two final challenges I share with you every week. Don't do this alone. Christian life is not meant to be lived solo, alone. Find someone. If you know another believer, say, hey, would you be my accountability partner? Let me read to you my prayer. Let me show you what I found. If, if you don't have any Christian friends, this is an evangelistic tool. Say, I'm doing a Bible study. Most people have never studied the Bible. Say, would you listen to what I found? It only takes five minutes, and I'm going to read it to you. And then share your findings and say, I'm asking God to change my life. If they're an unsaved person, they'll go, what is that? Does he do it? Does he change your life? And you can testify to them. You can tell them about Christ dying in your place, taking away the load of your sin. I mean, what a tool. If it's a believer, they can start reading the Bible. And every time you see each other, you say, where are you? Uh, what are you finding? Uh, what are you seeing God do in your life? It's the best way to live, okay? And final challenge, pray for us. As I told you, uh, we're out of the country in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be teaching and, and uh after that, when we come back to the States, we're, we're going to two Bible uh, colleges and a Bible conference. I'm speaking about, between all of them, 20, 53, about 60 times uh, over a one-month period. So that's like twice a day for a whole month. But pray for us. This is my wonderful wife, Bonnie, who's over there on the iPad recording. And we teach, uh, you know, throughout Central Europe and the Middle East and... Uh, uh, in, in all different uh, settings, look at this. We equip and mobilize partners to reach the least reached people, the next generation. Pray for us as we do that. Have a great week studying Revelation 1. And when I come back next time, we're going to do Revelation 2 and 3. And it's just as good as chapter 1, maybe better. God bless you. See you next week.